Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, dear ones. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that you and your family are doing well today. I want to thank you for watching this video. And uh, in this video, I'm going to interview a friend of mine named John Sampson. And John was a former Word of Faith preacher and even hosted some TBN programs as well. And he uh, knows a lot of the prominent Word of Faith preachers like Jesse Duplantis and Andrew Womack. Uh, he, he knows those guys. And so uh, he's going to give us his testimony about how God delivered him out of that deception. And I actually did this interview, and we did it in two different installments on two different days. And about the one-hour, five-minute mark, uh, it'll go into the second installment. And in the second installment, uh, John's going to tell us about some of the more dramatic experiences, such as speaking in tongues. Uh, you, you really don't want to miss that part. Speaking in tongues, being slain in the Spirit, and uh, and then just the the fundamental problem of the the horizontal nature of the gospel of the word of faith movement, and so uh, there's there's a lot of stuff here. I think it will encourage you. I hope maybe for some it would even challenge you. Maybe if you're watching this and you are dabbling in the word of faith movement, or maybe you're part of it, uh, I really hope that you will watch this. John's a great guy, super great guy. He pastors a church in Kings. He pastors a church in Peoria, Arizona, named King's Church, and I have all of the links uh, provided in the description below. Okay, all right. So into the interview, John, brother, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm good, very, very good, and it's a joy and delight and honor to be with you, Justin. Thank you. Thank you, John. I, I appreciate so much you joining me. What what year was that that you and I met? Do you remember? I think it was three years ago at the Shepherds Conference. I think we'd said hello and met online, so to speak, but that was the first in-person. Okay. Although yeah. I think we did meet at uh, Globe, Arizona, uh, when yeah, you came. That's my, yeah, that might have yeah. been before. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And, but the first, first real conversation, I guess, a few years ago. So, yes. yeah. Well, John, uh, so people might already even be able to tell that you have a, a, a bit of an accent. So tell us kind of where you're from and your testimony and um, what you're, of course, I should have said this initially. John is the pastor of King's Church in Peoria, Arizona. Uh, Peoria is a kind of a suburb of Phoenix there. Should have started with that. And, and I love, by the way, I love the name of your church, King's Church. I think that's great. But um, so we'll kind of work our way up to where you are now. So where where did you begin, brother? Tell us some of your background. I, um, I was very young when I was born, and I was very close <laughs> to my mother, and we drifted apart after that. But uh, <laughs> born in Chester, England, about 20 miles south of Liverpool, and um, grew up there. And my father was a preacher, although it didn't feel like, uh, the normal pastor's kid environment. My my father more more or less traveled a lot rather than stayed in one place. And so I didn't have the, the church environment, although very much a, a Christian environment. Um, but I remember reading uh, the Bible that my dad was reading. I was aged eight 
and I saw him after he, he'd been reading for about 20 minutes or so. And he, he stepped out of the room and I started reading the Bible and I found nothing in it that drew me to ever read it again. And, and I was wanting to be a professional soccer player and I just made this mental decision of whatever my dad's doing, it's not for me. Uh, until I was age 14, my father asked me to go to a service. I hadn't been to church in many years, and um, he knew that the gospel would be preached. And I really came under conviction and uh, realized I was a sinner before a holy God, and I couldn't say um, I had any standing with him. And uh, I, I pinpoint the age of 14 when I came to the Lord that, that night and did what I was asked to do, raise the hand, walk the aisle, sign the card, but more than anything, just aware of my fact that the fact that I was a sinner and uh, needed salvation and um, came back to my seat after about 15 minutes in a counseling room. And I, I think that's the only time I ever saw my father in tears. He was still crying because wow. apparently my mom and dad had been very concerned. I was uh, wrapped up in heavy metal music, pursuing a career, even at that stage of, of wanting to be a soccer player and um, way, way, way from the Lord. And uh, that's the time when I came to the Lord. Yeah. All right. Wow. Um, so fast forwarding through your teenage years and where did your, uh, what did you start? You wanted to be a soccer player. Did that ever come to fruition or what? I went as far as I, I, I could at, at age 16. I was chosen for the Chester under 19s team and was pursuing that. But the, the moment I was converted, uh, the desire for the scripture just the contrast between age eight was was so diametrically opposed to the other. Uh, and I wanted the scripture. I wanted to know the truth. And I wanted to preach. And I actually preached my first sermon at age 15 um, and walked away from what could have been a, a, a soccer career. Who knows what would have happened? But uh, began pursuing uh, ministry. And uh, as soon as I'd gone through high school and uh, worked a little bit, went to a seminary in England, which was um, a Pentecostal charismatic type of uh, settings called Elim uh, Bible College. is now called uh, Regents Theological College. And uh, I actually wanted to go to Rhema and really? uh, was accepted by Rhema. But my dad, who was going to be paying the bills, uh, when he found out it wasn't going to be uh, a residential environment that you lived off campus he, he wouldn't pay for it and that was the door uh, slammed in my face so I went to this Elim uh, place which I thought was second best at the time uh -huh. but uh, thoroughly um, doctrinally sound in so so many areas and uh, about 80 percent of the teachers were reformed um, with, a, a yeah and Pentecostal if you can see those two things together and uh, they normally don't go together. Um, no. no, not at all. Um, but they were on their soteriology, uh, doctrine of salvation, very much reformed, although they never explained why. Uh, but I knew that about them. So I had a respect for the reformed faith, but oh. I, I had no time for it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you went through college or the Bible college and, and then, then what? I joined up, uh, in, I'd actually moved by that time to Somerset, England, a place called Chard, and they had experienced um, what they call the, the, the charismatic um, movement 
uh, hub. It, it really was a hub where in this little village church, there'd been about 20 international ministers that had come out of this uh, small church. And that was the, the, the environment where I was growing. And uh, there was a man called Harry Greenwood, who was very well known, basically the Kenneth Hagen of England. He was referred mm. to as that. Okay. And um, he asked me to become his associate minister. And that's what I did the day after I left uh, seminary, joined up with him and uh, lived in the same house. And so I, I was seeing ministry at a very, on a very close-up level. And in the, the, then traveling the world with him, he would give me opportunity to speak for 10, 15 minutes, and then he'd either correct the mistakes or, or uh, follow on. Um, we went to Australia, New Zealand, India, uh, the United States, and, um, and yet at age 54, he died of a heart attack. This was 1988, and I thought my world had just uh, crumbled in a, in a moment. And then I went and uh, uh, became an associate pastor with another young man. I think I was 22, 23, and he was 25. And we oh, were the okay. two elders starting up a church <laughs> in, oh, wow. uh, in England and uh, very much charismatic. And um, looking back, uh, extreme charismatic. We, we were uh, spending a lot of our time in counseling, dealing with the demonic and uh, I look back at that time as, as just, uh, there were things I picked up that were good, but most of it I, I just uh, renounce at this point. So, yeah. Uh, but three years of that and then came out to the United States and started a church in, in Phoenix, which was definitely a word of faith church. There was a church in Tucson, a large church that sponsored me to come. And um, it was a word of faith uh, environment. And uh, many of the guest speakers they would have came to Phoenix also, people like Andrew Womack, a man called Norman Robertson, who's more known on the East Coast, Rick Renner, I'm sure you know his name, oh, yeah. um, who's very well known, especially in the former Soviet Union, Latvia, Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and so these were friends. Andrew Womack stayed in my house many times. And during that time, I was also uh, asked to... Um, host the the live uh, tbn trinity broadcasting network uh program which was two hours um yeah. the and, praise uh, uh praise the lord program praise the lord program the local one in phoenix it, it covered all of arizona um and oftentimes uh, the last guest wouldn't show up and so they'd say you've got 43 minutes preach for 40 and then we'll end with a song and you just have to be ready in those environments. Uh, but it was wow. uh, 1993 to 98. And then during that time, people like Benny Hinn were coming into town at the Coliseum. And I was one of the pastors there on the, on the stage, shook his hand. And um, yeah, I was as deeply involved in it as he possibly could be. Wow. So uh, during this time, did you, did you have any, nagging doubts like in the back of your mind did you think something's not right here uh, something this doesn't make sense what or were you fully committed i was fully committed and um what was apparent was that even in those circles you had healings that seemed to be genuine and also deaths and so people that i was looking at who were part of our church. The church had grown from basically nothing to about uh, 
300 people and there were people that um, I prayed for and the big shots had prayed for proclaiming them healed and uh, I would be doing the funerals and that hit home um, but I was able to explain it by uh, going to a scripture like Deuteronomy 29 29 yeah. the things belong to the Lord we don't know why this one wasn't healed we'll find out on the other side yeah and it just kept on um, but there were seeds there even though I was absolutely committed to the cause so to speak so, but, but they were proclaiming these individuals to be healed. Yeah. And yet yeah. they obviously and walked were not. away and basically said, well, I've done my part as the faith guy. It's up to you now to put the word into practice. And um, yeah, looking back, I, I, I winced because I prepared people to be healed, but not a family to face death. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm and, very, very much regretful of that now looking back. Sure, sure. Well, in your mind, what was the explanation? I mean, was it just Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, or was it? Um, there was that. There was sometimes when you think that this this person, because of the pain, weren't able to uh, keep their faith at a certain level or able to receive it. I would never say you were not healed because of a lack of faith. It was more. Um, not able to appropriate it somehow, but it meant the same thing. I'd use yeah. different language than that. But uh, looking back again, it was the most legalistic uh, kind of religion imaginable because God had always done his part by his stripes. You were healed. Yeah. Um, and so if you're not healed, you're not uh, hooking up with the power supply. Uh, yeah. which, which, whichever way you dice it, you either are doing something wrong or not doing something right. Right. Yeah. And that's it's, the reason um, why you're in the grave. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the devil is one in this, but, uh, thank God it's not the end. We're still breathing. Uh, we move on, but it's, it's, yeah. it's the, when you look back, uh, when I look back, uh, again, just this thanking God for deliverance from this legalistic, religion which is what it was but also just wincing at what i was saying to those under my shepherding care yeah sure yeah and it's interesting you mentioned that because i've i've heard many of these guys say the same thing you know they'll say oh well we're we're not gonna say that it's if you're sick it's because you don't have enough faith but if you had enough faith you would be healed that's very it's like well, yeah. where, where's the wiggle room there i mean you're yeah you're using semantics. Uh, it's funny the way my mind works. You use the phrase wiggle uh, room. And uh, my uncle was Smith Wigglesworth's driver. Really? And so, uh, yeah. And so. Okay. I, so I remember, not every, hang on, just not to interrupt, but not everybody knows who yeah. Smith Wigglesworth is. So who, who was Smith? I do, but who is Smith? Yeah. He, he was of a former generation, but kind of hailed as the, one of the great heroes of the faith movement. Uh, fellow like E.W. Kenyon uh, from the States, but Smith Wigglesworth, who was an uneducated plumber who boasted about the fact that he'd never read anything but the Bible. Yeah. Um, and this was a man who claimed to have raised a number of people from the dead, um, just hallowed in the faith camp. And so my yeah. uncle was, was the driver for, for him and was very impressed with him. And I remember that him talking of, of the Smith Wigglesworth. My mother was actually in Smith Wigglesworth meetings. 
uh, way, way back. My mother just passed away a few years ago, but she was very young, just a, a young girl, but she yeah. remembers Smith Wigglesworth meetings. Yeah, and that's amazing. Uh, and Smith Wigglesworth, he was known for kicking people, punching people, because yeah. yeah. he would see the demon of arthritis, see the demon of cancer on a person. Yeah. And yeah. so the only way to dislodge said demon is to, <laughs> is to punch him, punch him off. Of I mean, and in our own day more uh, recently, Todd Bentley did a lot of the same. Yep. Yep. Basing, it on, basing on the fact that Smith Wigglesworth did it and saw results, supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. Right. Yeah. One of the most horrific videos that I've come across uh, in the with the word of faith, NAR kind of stuff. I don't know if you've seen this in my seminar, but uh, Sid Roth reenacting a a story allegedly from Smith Wigglesworth where he exactly threw a baby against a wall, a sick baby, an infant that was sick and threw it against the wall and then kicked it after it fell to the floor. I mean, horrific stuff. Have you, have you heard this story before it was on yeah. Before it was on Sid Ross program. Yeah. I'd heard that. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that you'd say, well, I would never do that, but obviously the results speak for itself or else in my own heart, I was very suspicious that this story was true, but I'd heard it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things I point out, it's, it's one of the, as you know, one of the charismatic mantras is that what God does for one yeah. will do for you. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you take that to its logical conclusion. You see how just. Well, you know, the, it, you, you get into the mindset of the word of faith, which I would explain as over-realized eschatology. Yeah. In heaven, yeah. we will all be healed. There'll be no one walking around in, in a wheelchair. Right. Uh, and I believe that uh, that blessing is a cross wrought blessing. Mm-hmm. Jesus did die for sin, sickness, the curse, ev- death, every- everything. Yep. But not everything's going to be realized here on earth. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's tragic when um, the logic of that is that if, if, in fact, we are healed and since we are healed, Healed people don't need to wear glasses. Healed people don't need to uh, fill in the blank. And so as an act of faith, because I believe that, I can do very strange things that could get me killed or other people killed as I drive the car without glasses or whatever it might be. You go to an inspiring event, you think that's the way to to operate. Now, um, those in the word of faith circles I was was in would, would teach against that. But it is the logical conclusion of if you really believe you're healed, you'll act on it. Yeah. And uh, therefore, you'll, you'll do things that you wouldn't do if you were in unbelief, as they call it. Right. And uh, I can't tell you how many emails I've received from people and f- people I've talked to on the phone and talked to in person. And they'll say, you know, they, they talk about their testimony and how they used to be in this. They were sick. And they would not go to see the doctor. They would not take their medicine because if you go see the doctor, if you take your medicine, then what you're saying is, is I don't really believe that God is going to heal me. And Mm -hmm. so if you see your doctor, if you take your medicine, that's a sign of your lack of faith. 
Right. And nothing will make you lose your miracle of healing more quickly than a lack of faith. Right. That's right. Yeah. According to your faith, be it unto you. Yeah. Right. Right. And people get sick and people die as a result of this. Yeah. Teaching. Many other teachers who've actually taught that and died a victim of their own teaching. One of the things I say, and I'm sure you agree with this too, is that deceived people deceive people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes uh, people ask, do you think everybody in the uh, Word of Faith camp and the TBN um, spectrum uh, uh, are phony? And I say, well, they're teaching false doctrine. But are they all, do they know their cons? Yeah. And, and, and I say, well, I don't know every heart, but um, I think there's people that know they're absolute charlatans. And there are others who actually believe the false teaching. And they can look you in the eye, in the camera, and say, if you'll do this, you will. And they actually believe that. And so, um, you know, we don't have to know the full knowledge of someone's motivation to know what they're saying is false, whether or not God be the judge of their motive also. Right. Uh, One of the things that I know you've brought out many times is is, uh, a man by the name of William Branham. Mm -hmm. And... um, he absolutely denied the Trinity, called it a satanic doctrine. Right. And again, in the circles I was raised in, he was hailed as this great man of faith and his word of knowledge ministry. He could tell people's addresses long before the microphone system would allow you to in the 21st century. And I believe it was supernatural, but it wasn't of God. But That's these right. guys were, were, were lifted up, and uh, another man who was really influential in, in my life based a lot of his ministry on uh, William Bra- uh, Branham. And, and, and I, I, I read Deuteronomy, and it says, should a miracle worker do something, it, it prophesies it comes to pass, it, the miracle happens, but they point you to a false god. The Lord is putting you to the test. Don't fear that man. Don't fear him. Yeah. Um, so our Bibles tell us that God is testing us rather than if it came to pass, it, it's supernatural. It must be of God. And so we yeah. have to test everything as, as your ministry. Is so, uh, so, so clearly about, uh, doing exactly that saying, test everything with scripture and people come back to me and they, they say, you're not just, you're, you're, you're no longer open to the Holy spirit. <laughs> and, uh, I said, but the Holy spirit has said, test everything. That's right. Uh, and um, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the scripture says, because they not only received the word with joy, but they, they tested those things. And, and Paul, who was preaching, and Silas there, they were not upset that uh, they were testing those things. So yeah. we've got to put it to the scriptural test. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And um, Paul makes an interesting statement in Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 12 and 13, he says that people, evil men and imposters will grow from bad to worse. And then he says, deceiving and being deceived. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's an interesting yeah. deceiving and being deceived. I think both of those dynamics can be at work in the same. Yes, person. that's, that's true. I think that's uh, what I was saying. They are deceiving and they are deceived themselves. Yeah. So, so John, what was it? You're, you're very far removed now from those TBN days. So what? <laughs> I have been officially renounced for sure. Yes. Oh yeah. I walked away. 
I don't think we're going to see you on TV anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably the only guest you've ever had has been fired by Jan Crouch. So, uh, what an honor. Yes. <laughs> One Tuesday, um, we just got a memo that, um, she was firing all of the hosts and we never were told why. And, um, Huh. All the t- all the hosts, but two. I think two still remain. But um, yeah, yeah. So what happened? Well, I was busy about uh, doing my thing, growing the church. Thought I had a a, a sound understanding of scripture, as uh, as we all do. Um, looking back, I realized I was woefully deficient, but more than that, teaching error of a high magnitude. And um, what happened was in the year two thousand. Uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul came to Scottsdale, not far from us here in the Phoenix area. And I was excited by that, believe it or not, um, even as a a pastor in the the Word of Faith movement, because I had a respect for him. I'd actually seen his videos on the holiness of God. Now I look back and and I would say to myself, I I saw it, but I didn't really absorb it. Yeah. Uh, If I had, I'd have been different. But I was excited that he was coming, but my heart sank when I saw what he was going to be talking about. It was the year 2000, and he was going to do a Friday night and Saturday session on Chosen by God, the doctrine of predestination. Mm. And I thought, I'd love to hear him, but not on that subject. Haven't we got over this? Isn't this uh, past its sell-by date, you know, like milk in the fridge? We've got over this. Uh (laughs) Um, and, And why would someone who... Obviously, has a high, keen intellect, a theologian I respect. Why would he be traveling from Florida to Arizona, which in European terms is like going from England to Moscow? Yeah. Um, why would he be doing this on this theme? Surely there's better things we can talk about. And I wanted to hear him, but not on that. So yeah. there was another friend of mine who was thinking of going, and, and he, the way we would say it in England, was he chickened out. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't go, and I thought, well, I'll not go. No, but I want to hear him. I won't go. Well, I'll go. And um, I did go, but I thought the moment he starts quoting all of these theologians, you know, Spurgeon and Edwards and so, much, so on and Calvin and all of these guys, I, I'm just going to leave. If, if he can't prove it from Scripture, uh, I'm not interested. So I sat on the back row, and I was about to – leave when, once he started with all that. Well, he never went to the theologians. You know, R.C., he just went to the scripture. And um, I was sitting there listening, and uh, I thought, well, he's got a point. There are scriptures that certainly point in that direction, but I've got my scriptures. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 can, I can relate them. And, and I was amazed that they were going to have a question and answer session the next day. And that's what brought me back for the Saturday because they were promising to answer questions. I thought, well, that's when the house of cards are going to fall down. And um, there's this doctrine he's espousing of God's great sovereignty and salvation. We're just going to, with a few questions, just totally obliterate his arguments. Well, uh, one of the questions was, how do you handle John 3.16 and 2 Peter 3.9? And uh, those are the first two. And if you could have had a camera on, on me at that moment, you'd have seen a very white face because in a couple of minutes on John 3.16 and another two or three on Second Peter 3, verse 9, he was showing what those scriptures actually taught 
in their context, looking at the exact wording. And he says, now, this is what we read into it, but it's not there in the text. Yeah. And he just walked us through. And rather than being excited by that, I was actually very upset by it because mm -hmm. I realized I was reading into the text and I was in trouble, not him. Wow. And I left that conference very impressed, but not to the point of change. But I thought I, I owe it to myself to buy everything I possibly can, max my little credit card, buy everything I can on, on this subject because I've taught other things than what I heard and there's nothing I can refute. So yeah. I went into what I call my study cocoon no one else knew really what I was doing, but for six to nine months, just walking through uh, not only his material, but uh, James Montgomery Boyce and um, James White, who became a friend of mine in this process. Uh, he, he released a book called The Potter's Freedom, which was yeah. immensely helpful. Uh, but I emerged from this uh, study time believing Sproul was right, I was wrong. Um, and the way I'd explain it was Sproul flew into town through this rock of God's sovereignty in my theological pond and then flew out, uh, flew yeah. back to Florida and the ripple effects were, uh, I'm still seeing to this day. Wow. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise yeah. the Lord. So I was able to tell him that and, um, it brought a, a smile to his face to know RC oh. had uh, impacted my life so greatly. And uh, then you've got the challenge of uh, taking the church with you. And that's another story altogether, but um, a word of faith church to become um, less than that and then renounce that. That's, that's another story in itself. But the actual process internally was, was not something that happened in a moment. And so it's, it, it, I, I need to be reminded of that in my zealousness to, to teach the truth, give people time mm -hmm. and, and introduce the doctrines of grace through the lips of Jesus. Uh, Cause people are open to Jesus mm -hmm. rather than the theologians. And that's how I uh, came in myself. You, these are things taught by Jesus and the apostles very clearly. Right. Yeah the spirit blows where it wishes yes. where he wishes. I should say the wind blows. Yeah, and my sadness is I thought people would be thrilled when uh, they heard these things. And um, there's a cost involved, as you know, to, to preach and teach the truth. And um, it's been sad that it has meant folk will no longer walk with me um, and renounce me and say, Oh, from their perspective, John's lost the anointing, their language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I look back and say, thank God for deliverance. Yeah. Sincerely. Indeed. So it was, you stayed at that same church. It was just, you slowly started to. Yeah. Kind of, um, uh, I'm not sure I could, I would say slowly. Uh, I'm saying that now, you know, years on, um, when I did teach it, I taught it with, um, not a lot of, um, that, that, I'll rephrase it. I, I made people turn on a dime. And um, I started with Ephesians 2.1 with the title, What is it about dead do you not understand? <laughs> and um, uh, there was, there was one. Title. <laughs> yeah. And um, there, was, there was one, uh, one guy and uh, actually my secretary, uh, so the husband and the wife, 
left the, the service in the middle of the sermon shouting John 3.16, and I haven't seen them again to, since that time. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and so there was a, the, we won't go into all of it, but it was, uh, it was not an easy thing. And yet I was teaching on the radio, and because I was teaching these things, the folk that were coming as a result of that were, not, were, were hearing it, had no problem with it, and God was very gracious. We, we actually kept the church through that transition. Wow. Amazing. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, it's a, that's quite, quite the change. I mean, that would be like a Roman Catholic church going to a, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, And what, what's sad is some of these folk that were ministers that you've named who, as I mentioned, Andrew Womack stayed in my home many times. Um, They want nothing to do with me. And, um, you know, it's, 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 there's a sadness of just on a human level, even yeah. though you, you understand in truth, you've got to stand for the truth, but you, you would think that they would be thrilled to look at the scripture they're quoting in context. And, and, and I would say, um, not to him specific, specifically, but to other friends, hey, hey, you just quoted that. Can we look at that in its context? And there's not an interest. And so I look back and think the interest I had in Sproul articulating John 3.16 and 2 Peter 3.9 and other scriptures all I can say is God had mercy on me to even have the interest to, to look into those things. So you, you mentioned Andrew Womack and how, how he stayed in your home many times. So talk to us specifically about him and what was your, um, what was your evaluation of him? What, when you, when the Lord did open your eyes to this, I'm sure you had conversations with him. What was his, what was his reaction? Actually, no, I didn't. Um, no? Okay. No, I, once I realized we'd gone in a different direction, I was no longer inviting him. Um, and so there hasn't been a conversation. Um, okay. Um, so he, he, I'm sure he knows where I stand. He used to come to Arizona fairly often, a couple of times a year. He'd come to a church in Mesa and to our church in North Phoenix, as it was then. Um, but there hasn't been a conversation, and I'd have, I'd have loved to have been able to sit down uh, and, and walk through some of those scriptures. But um, you asked me about him personally. I, I think he genuinely believes what he's saying. Hmm. Yeah. He, has, uh, he claims that his son was raised from the dead mm-hmm. and, his, and his wife, too. Is that right? Not, I've not heard about the wife. I've heard about the son. Okay, the son. I know he claims like a couple of different people were raised from the dead that he was witness to. Do you know anything about that? No, other than the story that you've heard. No, I've not probed okay. any further. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you knew Andrew Womack. Womack. Um, just I've, I've, I've buried people he's prayed for that he's proclaimed as healed. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's tragic. And, and what's his what's his explanation? They just didn't have enough faith. Well, basically, I did my part. Yeah. So you know him. Who else do you know, John, from the Word Faith crowd? Uh, I mentioned Rick Renner. Um, yeah. He'd he'd been in my home. He hadn't stayed in my home, but been in my home, and uh, many times he came and, and preached. Um, very much known as a Greek scholar, except. Uh, those that are Greek scholars knows know that he's not a Greek scholar. Mm. 
um, he, he has uh, two thick books of sparkling gems from the Greek and um, scholars who know Greek know that he's butchering a lot of it. Yeah. 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 What about uh, Jesse Duplantis? I think I've heard you mention his name. Yeah. I've, I've, I've sat around a table and had a, a meal with him with others and um, he, he wants to be the center of attention uh, at the table as well as, <laughs> um, you know, no. on, on the stage. He's, he's kind of the same way uh, you would imagine him to be. Um, you know, the, there's everyone else is listening and uh, he doesn't, he takes a long time to get through his meal because he's talking. He, he's that, <laughs> he, he's that guy. So the guy you see is the guy you, you see right. at the table. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you watch him, I mean, he's all, he's got all these outlandish stories and just story after story after story. And, and, um, there's a lady, uh, pastor, um, which is another theme all in itself. Issue, and, yeah. uh, and Jesse in a service, turned to her and said, the Lord just spoke to me to, uh, to give you a brand new Lexus. And a um, couple of days later, she went to a Lexus dealership and he said, anyone you want. And uh, he or his ministry paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got enormous wealth, enormous wealth. He, uh, he lives in a home in, Destrahan, Louisiana, which is kind of a suburb of New Orleans, or Destrahan, however you say it, but uh, it's 35,000 square feet. I don't know if you've seen a picture of his home, but 35,000 square feet. I there are museums of are not that size. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's crazy. You know, and it's just him and Kathy. They're, you know, they're in their 70s, I believe, and they, it's not like they have kids at home, but... Uh, I remember um, back, it was obviously around the year 2000 or so, but um, his monthly budget, I think, was $1.2 million and he needed just for his TV ministry. That was, you know, more than 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's just unreal. The, the kind of to break world. even. He needs $1.2 million yeah. just to break even. Yeah, yeah. And I hear him, I've heard him brag many times about how he is, not in debt, doesn't owe anybody anything, he's swimming in cash, you know, and, uh, and yet he keeps, keeps bringing it in. It, it's interesting. It, I tell people that all Christian television is, is a function of supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the demand is, that's what they're going to supply. And yes. And so when you turn on TBN or Daystar or, you know, Sun Life Broadcasting or whatever, one of these, um, Lucia Broadcasting, you don't, you don't see John MacArthur or Steve Lawson or Vody Balcom or John Sampson or Justin Peters. You I have a face for radio. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's well, <laughs> there's just, there's no demand, you know, no. not on that scale. Anyway, if there was a demand for it, that's what you would see. But there, yeah, the demand is for Joel Osteen and Joseph Prince and, you know, Jesse Duplantis and all these others. Just to highlight what you just said, second, Timothy 4 talks about um, the people having itching here is they, they select teachers in accordance with their own desires. Yep. But you've got the false teacher who needs those people also. So the false teacher needs the people and the people needs the false teacher because, hey, the big shot's coming into town with the anointing 
if I give my $10,000 here uh, in, into this good ground ministry, yeah. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to reap a, a hundredfold more, more than if I gave to the lowly pastor who's faithful, but brother big shot or sister satellite has come into town <laughs> <laughs> and they've got the anointing. So I'm saving up to give big in that offering. You can imagine yeah. it. So both are hoodwinked. Yeah. Um, and deceived and being deceived. Yeah. And the bigger miracle you need, the bigger yeah. monetary seed you'd better sow. Yeah. So if you have cancer or if you have a child who has cancer, mm. you need a big miracle, then you sow big seed. Being on the platform at uh, the Benny Hinn meeting, I think was another seed um, in that, as you've been there many, many times, just documenting what goes on, I was aware that the really, really, really sick people are never seen. They're right. in some room. They're in some room somewhere because it would just uh, so um, dampen the environment to see someone who's in, in the, not only the wheelchair, but in the kind of movable bed. Um, yes. You don't see that. There may be 20 of them in a backstage room. Yep. And that's, that's, that's the, if, if, if really any one of them over the years, any one of them had been really healed, it'd be national news. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I've been to these things and I've seen, you have seen what the television cameras won't show you that in the back, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of truly sick, truly handicapped, People, I've seen people on stretchers. I've seen parents with dying children, cradling dying children in their arms. Um, desperate, you know, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And they have got to have an absolutely seared conscience to not be bothered by this and to continue doing. You know, Benny Hinn made big news a couple of years ago when he supposedly repented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then within a very short span of time, he was back teaching the exact same thing that he had supposedly uh-huh. repented of. You mentioned a minute ago about sovereignty and R.C. Sproul. And talk to us a little bit about that, because one of the unmistakable theological undercurrents in the Word of Faith movement is a palpable disdain for the sovereignty of God. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. The, 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 two, uh, the, the two teachings of word of faith compared to biblical Christianity, God on the throne, couldn't be more separated. Um, the word of faith doctrine is that God made man in his image and gave him seed to sow so that he could be the master of his environment. Um, Physical seed you can put in the ground and the seed of sowing words. Yeah. And by those words, um, he will have whatever he says. So yeah. that God's hand is actually tied uh, by the words of our mouth. And right. scripture taken out of its setting oftentimes, or else even when rightly understood, there's a, a complete disregard to God's sovereignty so that if you would talk of death, you've allowed death into your life or your family's life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Yeah. 
Yeah. And those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. That's interpreted in the word of faith to mean if you speak death, you'll have death. If you speak life, you'll have life. Yep. And uh, I believe the scripture, but it's talking about um, something other than the wooden uh, interpretation of if I say, wow, that tickled me to death, I've allowed death into my life. That's the reason why I'm dying of cancer. Right. Um, but that's the dime of real estate, if you like that. They build this skyscraper doctrine of confession of your faith. Yeah. Um, you'll have whatever you say, and um, you'll have it in salvation. And they use Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God is raised from the dead, you'll be saved. And so this confession system um, is a workspace program that allows you. People say, what will be the big, what will be the lore of that? Why, why would you even want to go there? Well, if you're not doing well in life, you can change it. Yeah. It's, it, 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 you can, because of what God has given you, uh, change your world by the words you say. There are laws that govern gravity and there are laws that govern faith. And they quote uh, Romans 3.27, according to the law of faith. Yeah. And so if you learn the laws, you'll have the results. And God's hands are tied because of the words of your mouth. Now, that's, that means you've had the bad life you have because you've said, well, I'm, I'm dying to see you. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that's why you're in the predicament you, you're in. Yep. Um, but you can change it. And uh, God has turned the electricity on. It's always on. If you'll just flick the right switch, you'll have the light rather than the darkness. You'll have the blessing rather than the curse. Yeah. Uh, so God's sovereignty is an absolute anathema in that system. I believe that the Lord is our healer, but he's sovereign over if and when he does it in this world yeah um and um the scripture tells us that the lord's in the heavens he does whatever he pleases psalm 115 verse 3 but nowhere do we read man is on the earth he does all that he pleases that's right <laughs> um we might have many a plan in the man's heart but it's the lord's purpose that prevails so this rock of sovereignty, if we'll allow it to land in our pond, it's just a revelation of the biblical God. Um, the God of the Bible in, in Isaiah 46 gets his will done always. My purpose will stand. I'll accomplish all my good pleasure. And these were the scriptures I had to wrestle with. And as I look back, um, there are scriptures that speak of healing and of prosperity there's no doubt of it. Yep. But what we learn on page one of our systematic theology about God's sovereignty is often lost by page 37 when we're looking at another theme. Mm -hmm. And what we've done with, uh, as Bible teachers rightly, is to say, let's not forget page one, that God is still sovereign over if and when we receive those things. There won't be sickness in heaven. We'll not be Right. Uh, at the back of the meeting saying, can you speak up? We can't hear you because of our, you know, ear issues. You know, we, yeah. we, we, we will have absolute joy and bliss. And I believe Jesus has purchased that for yes. us. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So sovereignty is an anathema. 
you would never pray if it be your will, um, because that is a lack of faith. And uh, you know this inside out. But um, yeah, in, in that realm, uh, in his sovereignty, he gave you authority. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely. I've, I've heard Andrew Womack many times uh, just really demean the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Yeah. It is, it is He's called it the greatest uh, threat to truth in the body of Christ is the doctrine of God's sovereignty. That's right. And I say we are teaching different gods then. Yes, we are. We are. The, you know, and I'm glad you said that, John, because these aren't minor no. theological differences. We're not talking about who you think wrote the book of Hebrews, you know, or whether you're pre-trib or mid-trib or, mm-hmm. you, know, they, right. you know, those are, those are in-house theological yeah. debates. And there's some wiggle room, you know, we can have, there's some room there for um, differences on those kinds of issues, but the God of the prosperity gospel, the God of the word of faith movement is not the God of the Bible. No. Right. You would agree right. with that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one is God, and the other is a fake God. Yeah. And he's actually it, it. The law is you can change your environment, but on the other side of it, you've got a very anemic God, who mm-hmm. is hoping you make the right choice, who is hoping you cooperate with the laws. Otherwise, his hands are tied and he's powerless. Yeah, it's it, it's it's not the God of the Bible. Yeah. Um, yeah, God decreed the cross, which was the most evil event in all history. And he takes ownership and says, I decreed that. Yep. Uh, I purposed that. I predestined that. All right. of these biblical words. And so uh, as, as biblical Christians, we go and say, well, if that's the worst that has ever happened, which it is, the greatest sin of humanity is, is, is that exact event. And God orchestrated all of it he's orchestrating every lesser event as well. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he is not, he is not the author of evil, but yet he is sovereign over it. Yes. And, um, and uses even that for his own purposes and ultimately for his own glory. And but that, that's even just evil has a purpose that is good and will be seen to be good. Yeah. Without, Without sin, without evil, there would be no manifestation. That's a term that's been hijacked by the charismatics, yeah. but there would be no manifestation of the mercy of God. Yeah. You know, uh, so, um, Justin, you and I are wearing shirts today, and, and if we get the wrong uh, button in the wrong hole at the top, it's going to be wrong all the way down. Right. And if we get it wrong on sovereignty, we'll be wrong all the way down. Absolutely. It's a great analogy. Yep, you're absolutely right. If you get the sovereignty of God wrong, you get everything else wrong. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Yep. You know, and it, it's interesting. I'll point out, I'm sure you've heard me say this, that the, what the faith preachers preach doesn't even work for them because they get sick just as regularly as any of us do. Mm-hmm. They, they get older. They age. I mean, Look at, I've got a video of Andrew Womack from 2011 and he looks considerably younger than he does today. Mm. Uh, interestingly enough, there, there's no aging in heaven. So why is he aging here? And so it, it, it breaks down real quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. 
I mentioned Harry Greenwood, and there he was, age 54, dying of a, a heart attack, preaching health. Yeah. Jan Crouch, um, she died, ironically, on the last day of healing month. She had proclaimed May to be healing month on TBN. I think this was in 2017 when she died. But she died on the last day of healing month of TBN, ironically. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever meet her? No, no. Um, she she didn't come to Phoenix often. And uh, yeah, and even when she fired everyone, she did it by decree on the phone with the manager. And um, there wasn't even a thank you for the years of service or it was, it, you'd expect that even in a secular environment. You know, thank you for all your time. We're, we're actually going a different direction or we're yeah. letting you go. No. Not even that. Not even that. Wow. Wow. Well, John, you've, you've written a, speaking of sovereignty, you've written a couple of books. Uh, the first is 12 Whatabouts, Answering Common Objections Concerning God's Sovereignty in Election. And the other is a five solas standing together alone. Can um, You and I both have a deep appreciation for the sovereignty of God. As you said, you get that wrong, get everything else wrong. So talk to us a little bit. I want, I want people to be aware of your resources. Yeah, the, the, the book, really what happened, uh, which was really a, a great kindness of the Lord. There's a man called John Hendricks who runs monogism.com. Are, are you aware of him? And that, oh, yeah. That, mm-hmm. it, it's an amazing theological resource. Well, he asked me in 2005, knowing what had happened and seen a few things that I'd written, to join him on his uh, blog. It's called, it was called ReformationTheology.com. And uh, so I wrote a few little articles and um, answering objections. What about John 3.16? I mentioned that earlier. And so I thought, I'm going to write about that. And maybe it will be helpful to others. And then what about... Uh, reprobation what about uh, lost ones that that are lost at at this point and um so i wrote over a period of time uh, about 10 different articles on those themes and and john just said you know you've you've got a book there if you'll put it all together and uh, he encouraged me in that and um it came out of my own uh cocoon study time of hey if, if this sovereignty thing is true what about this? What about this verse? How do we explain this concept? <clears throat> um, and, and so I walked through in my own heart and mind the answers to those things and then started writing on it. And that's what became the book on uh, 12 what abouts. What about this? What about that? And okay. then later on, uh, the, the five solas, there, there is so many great resources on that um, uh, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, I mentioned his Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace is all, all about the five solas. Uh, R.C. Sproul has some great resources on it too. But what I wanted to do was um, rather than it being uh, a frustration, I put this, these, these books in folks' hands and some just absolutely absorbed it. But there are others and said, you know what, I'm not really a reader and uh, 300 pages a little too much for me. And so I thought, how can I condense it? So within about an hour or so, we, we can summarize those five vital doctrines of, uh, by, but based on the sure foundation of Scripture alone, mm-hmm. but justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. So that's what I set out to do. And 
the, the hardest thing was condensing it without distorting it. Yeah, right. And um, one of the, the, the great things that, that happened was a number of folk in, uh, endorsed it, but um, I got a letter from Dr. R.C. Sproul thanking me for the book and saying, praying God's blessing on it. And he says, oh. you've succinctly summarized the soul. As, and he, he wrote that just a few months before he died. And his really? letter's on my wall. Oh, I bet yeah, it so, is. And he says, thank right. you for the so, encouragement. Right. Thank you for the encouragement you brought to me, he wrote. And, I've, and I've, I was able to tell him, you, you, sir, you changed my life. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I envy you in a, in a kind of a godly sort of way. I never got a chance to meet Oh, um, I've met his grandson, but I, I, yes. after his death. So yeah. I wish I, I wish I could have met him. Yeah. Great man. Earth, but I'll see kind him man. Kind mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Very and gracious. I, I found a way to get to him. I thought if I write to Ligonier, it's going to be lost somewhere. It may not get to him. I, I visited their office and it was large enough to to know, um, it may not reach him. So I wrote to him at the church at St. Andrews and, and uh, was able to, 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 to tell him what he'd done in my life. And, oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Well, John, you are the pastor at King's Church in Peoria, and your church's website is what? It's uh, kingschurchaz.com. I also... Uh, have a blog called Effectual Grace, or one word, EffectualGrace.com, and I've, I've written there. I, I basically, um, rather than keep a file of papers that would be huge, I, I, I find good articles and I, and I link to them there. It's become a resource for me. Uh, if you look on the side, uh, what about this area? Well, I've, I've usually got four or five articles that either I've written or uh, articles that I've found through the, through the, through the decades now of helpful resources so maybe that could be of help to people okay fantastic good deal well i will i will have both of those links in the description below dear one so if you're watching this look in the description below down there and you will see those links to to uh, john's church and to effectual grace and you can get the books there as well is that right yes solid ground christian books to where uh, they can get hold of them and um uh, it's a great ministry they have out there. And as I say, the, um, the, the, there's a Spanish version for anyone who's uh, got Hispanic relatives or friends, and you know, hopefully it'll be a resource for them. Okay. All right. And I have two final questions for you, brother. Uh, one, what do you say to people who say, oh, you, you reject the Holy Spirit, you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? What, what do you say to that? I say, well, I, I appreciate your your great insight. No, I don't. I, I, <laughs> I say, uh, actually, I, I believe that the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of, of a Christian and especially a pastor and a teacher is to take the words of Scripture and seek out the, the truth of them, rightly interpret them. That is actually honoring the Holy Spirit. I give them an illustration. I said, um, perhaps I've gone to New York and uh, it's winter time, and I'm writing back to my fellow elder Doug in the church. And uh, yet I'm halfway through 
and the electrical grid goes down and within moments we're all cold because the heating's no longer uh, happening it's no longer taking place that there's heat in the hotel or whatever it is and so when it eventually um, I, I get a battery operated uh, computer and was able to to, to email somehow, I say, everyone in New York is cold tonight. There's a context for that uh-huh. that is not saying everyone is cold-hearted. Yeah. We're talking about physical heat or the lack of it. And in the realm of Bible interpretation, our job is to find out what did the text actually mean in its historical setting when John wrote to Doug, what was he meaning? And what we're seeking to do is find out what is the meaning of the text. And that is actually honoring. If someone quotes me and says, you know, John thinks all New York people are cold-hearted people. Look, he said all New York people are cold. Right. They've misinterpreted yeah. and they've not honored me enough to read my words in context. Right. And so I'm saying... I believe we're honoring the Holy Spirit more by seeking the truth of the text, reading it in its context. So that would be my answer. Yeah. Great analogy. I love that. It's, and I, I tell people as cessationists, uh, we do not cede any ground on our pneumatology, on our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We should not cede any ground to these charismatics who attribute things to him that he is not doing. Um, it's That's actually, right. There's another illustration that w- w- was was worked out in my life. I visited uh, Australia. I believe you have too. Have you? I have. Yep. Yeah. I, and I was in Sydney in the daytime and uh, was on the Harbour Bridge and looking over at the Sydney Opera House. And uh, it was a nice building. It was unusual, but it didn't stand out. But I came back at night and everything else around it was dark and the floodlights now lit up this opera house and it was stunning and i'm thinking just four or five hours ago i saw this and and was not that impressed to be honest in the nighttime i was i was stunned by it absolutely stunned and i walked away and the thought came to me i'm not stunned by the floodlights Uh i'm stunned by what the floodlights revealed Right. And that is the opera house. And when the work of the Holy Spirit is, is active in someone's life, they're not talking so much about the Holy Spirit, like they wouldn't be talking about the floodlights. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the true God. They're lifting up Jesus rightly. They're preaching and t- teaching the, the true gospel. And what I look back on in my time with all of these folk we mentioned is very, very rarely, if at all, did I ever hear the true Jesus proclaimed and the true gospel proclaimed. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Amen to that, brother. Amen. Was there a second question? Yeah, yeah. Tell us, okay, I, I meant to ask you, you have you have a wife, of course. Yes. And what's her name? Linda. Linda, do you, and your children are? Yeah, they're, they're, they're grown. Um the, the oldest is 25, the youngest is uh, 19. Okay, so they're all out of the house, but you do have you do have someone else in the house, right? We do, two dogs, yes. <laughs> two. Uh, 
Uh, and I, I've really had to be assured of my manhood uh, to, to name these dogs as uh, Buttercup and Daisy May. <laughs> Buttercup and Daisy May. There you you go. don't want to go outside, Buttercup, Daisy May. <laughs> you've, you've really got to be assured of your manhood to do that. There you so. go. That's what I'm saying. Amen <laughs> to that. Preach it, brother. <laughs> and I know you have a, a beloved as well. Yep, yep, yep. I'm married to Kathy and have a little 10-pound, <laughs> four-legged bundle of joy called Mia. I so. think I saw her earlier in behind you. So. Oh, did you? Yeah, we had a Mia sighting. A Mia sighting, yeah. <laughs> it's funny when I travel, people say, yeah, I watch your YouTube videos. I love it when I see Mia. <laughs> So my two dogs are in a room behind and uh, I'll go to them once we're done and okay. apologize for the lack of uh, attention for the last hour or so. Right, right. <laughs> hey, brother. Well, John, it's been a joy. Thank you very much for your time and uh, thank you for sharing it. Praise the Lord for the work that he has done in your life. And that is truly the work of the Holy Spirit, Amen. what he has done in your life, not not all the fake signs and wonders and exploitation of poor and sick people. That's not, that's not the work of Holy Spirit. What he did in your life is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm so grateful. Um, not only for, uh, the opportunity to be with you now, Justin, but so grateful to God for bringing me out. People say, but if you'd have hung up out with these guys, you could have, you could have, you could have, and all of this talking in financial terms. And, and, um, I'm just grateful to God with all my heart that he delivered me and I'm thanking God every day. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I don't envy these people that we've been talking about when they stand before. Sometimes people will say that to me, Oh, you're, you're jealous. These people have the people you criticize. You're jealous of them because they have a bigger platform than you do. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. I'm not jealous of them at all Mm -hmm. because they'll have to give an account one day. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, John, thank you, brother. And uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, pray for you, your ministry for, uh, for, for the longest time. Just been so grateful to God that you're out there doing what you're doing. And um, you're a joy, Justin. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. All right, dear ones. Um, thank you very much for watching. And if you live in the Phoenix area and you are looking for a good doctrinally sound church to call home, I would commend to you. King's Church in Peoria. Um, you've heard me say before, if you've watched me at all, that having a good doctrinal sound church is of vital, vital importance, paramount importance in the life of believers. So if you live down in that hot neck of the woods, then uh, search out King's Church in Peoria. It'd be a, a good church to join yourself to. Okay, dear ones, uh, you can see that both John and I just change clothes. We just changed shirts. And it's amazing how quickly we did that. Just a matter of like a second, we just both instantly changed shirts. But no, this is actually a follow-up interview on a different day. And uh, John and I were talking and, and uh, a few other things I'd like to ask him about, and he would like to share with you. Um, John, so one thing that we didn't cover, uh, haven't covered yet, is some of the things I suppose for which the charismatic movement is is more well known, and that is some of the manifestations. I call them in my seminar mangled manifestations. Some of the things that you can see and touch, like speaking in tongues, being slain in the spirit. Some of these dramatic things, even in some some of these churches, jerking and shaking and that kind of stuff. Uh, 
how much were you uh, exposed to that? How much of that did you see? And were you, did you participate in, in any of this kind of um, activity in your days? Yeah, well, if we start with the speaking in tongues, I was uh, converted in a Pentecostal church service. And uh, looking back, I believe it was a biblical gospel. Uh, there was a call to repentance and faith. There was not a different God being proclaimed at all. But very quickly, within a few months of attending that church, there was a man by the name of John Lloyd. I'm, I'm sure he's departed planet Earth by now, but he was in his 70s at the time. And I was 14, 15 at the time. And he had a ministry, so-called, of uh, getting people filled with the Spirit. That was his ministry. Uh-huh. And so after a while, three or four months in the church, he delighted in taking you aside and um, helping you into that experience. And uh, again, looking back, I, I, you don't see that in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. Um, certain brothers helping folk speak in a new language. Right. Um, but I was really pressured, looking back, pressured heavily to mumble some sounds and um, didn't feel the need to, but he was insistent. And after about 20 minutes of this pressure, come on, uh, speak out. It's there. It's there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And he was going, blah, 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 whatever he was doing. Um, I had to come up with something just to to stop this ordeal. Yeah. And said something. And he said, that's it. And uh, he, he kind of checked the mark off and says, now go home and practice that new language you have and develop it. Right. And so that was my initiation into all of that. Quickly, I meant I went from Chester down south to a place called uh, Chard in Somerset. I think I mentioned that in, uh, previously. And that was uh, probably classed more as charismatic than Pentecostal, just in terms of the emphasis and um, whether or not we go heavily into that is not, is not here nor there. But um, that was my initiation. And then... Um, over time, I did see all of the above, everything you've said. Um, it would not be something that was promoted doctrinally, that you have to shake, you have to jerk, but suddenly I saw that. Saw people slain in the spirit with regularity. And um, looking back again, you don't see it in the New Testament. Right. Uh, the only time you see people fall to the ground, it was God's judgment uh, in the Gospel of John on uh, Romans that's right. Uh, from the soldiers. That's right. Um, yep. And that that account in John, uh, is it John 18 or John 19? Uh, mm-hmm. That is, 18, yeah, 18. That is the, that is the closest parallel as far as what it looks like being slain in the spirit that you see Yes. in the new yes. Testament. They, it says they drew back and fell to the ground. And, and so, uh, but yeah, that's that's judgment right there. That's judgment. Jesus was showing that he was in charge. They were going to arrest him. There was between 200 and 1,000 troops there in that garden, a cohort, um, a battalion of men. And uh, Jesus was making it clear who was in charge. They're coming to arrest him. Are you? Je- we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I am. They fell to the ground. And um, they got up and... Jesus had made it clear who was in charge. He was only being arrested because he was allowing them to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and uh, I remember hearing someone say, uh, have you been slain in the spirit? It's a, it's a terrible term. He says, um, and this was kind of a, a funny expression, but 
biblically, it actually makes sense. He says, if you have the apostle Peter as your pastor and you lie about what you put in the offering, you too can be slain in the spirit. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um, that's from Acts 5. Right. I mean, biblically, that's what we're talking about. I mean, there's no biblical basis for that experience. And again, the question was never asked, where's this in the Bible? It was just assumed if the Holy Spirit is present, uh, people are going to fall over. And there were times when I'd walk down an aisle in a service and people were falling around me. I thought it was because of the manifestation of God's presence being on me. Mm. And uh, look back and renounce the whole thing. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you really thought that you thought that there was some yeah. the anointing was so strong on you that yes. people were just falling yes. over in your presence. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I would seek to immediately want to give God the glory for it. But uh, yeah, it was looking back. I mean, again, there was never this question. Show me in the Bible. Is this what happened in the book of Acts? Is there any evidence of it? Is there any in the epistles? And we didn't go there because certainly we thought, well, we're, we're elevating the Holy Spirit here and he's the only one who can manifest. And um, a faulty foundation leads to a, a fault-filled building. And that's what we have. Yeah, indeed. And John, going back to tongues, uh, that's something that you... Uh, you began to do, you kind of babbled and that kind of thing. Did, did that continue? Did you, did you think that was a private prayer language? Did you do it in church? Did you do it at home? Um, Mainly at home, like? but it would be something I was involved in for a couple of decades, to be honest. A couple of decades. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, pray for an hour in tongues, um, believing it was a supernatural language. Again, if we'd called it, language they spoke in languages right um it might have been a big help but because it's this indefinite word tongues it mm -hmm. seems to be a, a supernatural thing and there would be stories i'd hear of oh you should have been here a couple of weeks ago someone from germany was in the meeting and um right someone said something in a tongue and they said what is this what is this and uh, <laughs> they said it's it's german and uh, you're praising God in German. I want this experience. And it was always in, in 20 years of it. I never saw it myself, um, but I'd hear stories of that. And so, um, again, you'd have thought you'd have bumped into the real thing if the real thing was out there, the number of services I went to. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. The real gift of tongues, better said, the gift of languages would be just that, it would be it would be like you or me instantly being able to speak fluent Swahili. Uh -huh. it's, it's a known human language. It's just not known to either one of us. I, it's, well, I'm assuming you don't know Swahili. I don't know. I Swahili. Don't. But um, yeah, it was never this unintelligible ecstatic gibberish. In fact, that's what the, that was part of the Corinthians pagan worship before mm. they were converted is that they spoke in this ecstatic, unintelligible gibberish. And uh, they were confusing that with the genuine gift of languages. So, um, yeah, it's and the day of Pentecost was a supernatural miracle. Right. And it was obvious to everyone something supernatural was happening. But this modern day gift of tongues, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to be able to come up with that. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't at all. A lot of 
non-Christian religions speak in tongues as well. I mean, flat out pagans do it. Hindus do it. Some Muslims do it. Um, a, a lot of people can, it's a learned behavior. In fact, I've spoken with, uh, I, I don't even know how many people, dozens and dozens of former charismatics who told me that they used to speak in tongues. Uh, but God has delivered them out of that. And they're clearly out of that. They're cessationists mm-hmm. um, now, but they still retain that ability. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So many times people would have a prayer request and we were told uh, either privately or together, pray in tongues for 30 minutes till you feel the release. <laughs> and everyone in the service is praying in that whatever it was. And uh, after a while, we, we sensed that the deed was done and we'd done what we needed to. And now yeah. we can move on. Can, is, is it something you can do? Like, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily ask you to do it, but if you wanted to, you could probably do I it could. right now. Could I could do it right now. Do you want to? Not really. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But, well, I could. You know, and then I was told, um, by someone more advanced, start off with a different syllable and different letter and you'll have a different language. Instead of starting with a T, start with an L. And that's why you can move into diverse kinds of tongues, as the uh-huh. King James put it, and different kinds of tongues. And um, if, if it's not a language on earth, it's the language of angels, which is a butchering of the text, as you know. Um, yes, that's right. Uh, where, where Paul is describing... Uh, though I were to speak in the language of angels. And it's all in the context of hyperbole. Uh, if you read the, the, the before and after uh, sentences. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, that probably was painful for you to do, but I'm it was glad painful. you did it. Brought back uh, many memories. I, I, I know. Probably do, you, having, do, you, uh, do you feel better that now though I did it? it? You know, the heaviness is, the oppression is lifted up. Oh yes. You know? I, I feel a freedom and anointing. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's sad. It, it it's so sad because it's such a, a decrease. Such a, what what's the word? It's so sub New Testament Christianity. What we read in the Book of Acts that wasn't it. Yeah, what I just did wasn't it. Right, that's right. That's exactly right. What you just did was not it, and yet that is that that standard. What you just did is is standard. That's standard amongst yes. the charismatic movement. That's what you see. Yeah. And um, I'm glad you did that because it, it just shows that it's a learned behavior. It I mean, is. You don't yeah. believe in it anymore. You don't do it, but you still yeah. retain that ability. It's a learned behavior. That's all it is. I, I'm, I'm, I'd have to count decades now since I last did that. So yeah. Wow. Almost two, I'd say almost two decades. So it's been almost 20 years since you've done that. And yet when I asked you to do it and I didn't tell you beforehand, I was going to ask you to do that. No, you didn't. That was totally, totally uh, spontaneous. (laughs) But even though it's been 20 years, at least since you've done that, you could still do it. Yes. So, wow. The charismatics would say to see the gifts and the calling with, of God are without repentance. <laughs> yeah, which is also out of context. That's right. <laughs> yeah. There's a theme there. Yeah, there's a theme there, indeed. Well, uh, thank you, John. It's, uh, it, it just goes to show that we cannot interpret the Bible by what we experience. Exactly. We must interpret what we experience by the Bible. And the big thing in that is 
just our approach to, say, the book of Acts, if we assume that what we're reading is normative, mm -hmm. then we have to come up with the Acts 2 experience rather than saying this is an amazing event in human history that occurred uh, when the gospel was being proclaimed for the first time in the city where Jesus had died. Yeah. And um, is it something that God says is for us uh, now? That's an assumption. Mm -hmm. Or we look at the text and say, could this merely be descriptive of, of what we are to believe happened in the first century when God did amazing things and he continued to do amazing things, mainly through the apostles rather than through the, the normal everyday average believers as um, you know, signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the question, are apostles alive today? Not new Testament apostles. No. So, nope. yeah. Nope. And so in every realm, when we talk about prophecy, um, the prophecies today, even are at their best are sub new Testament prophecy. Um, so I think everyone who is even in the charismatic sector, if they're honest, would have to admit that they're a cessationist of sort. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of charismatics, and not all of them, I mean, many charismatics would say that there are still apostles today, but but a lot of charismatics would acknowledge, okay, yeah, there's there's no more apostles today like what there were in the early days of the church. Some charismatics would acknowledge that. And okay, well, if you if you acknowledge that, then then congratulations, you're a cessationist. Yeah, you've already seated the cessationist position. Yes. All right. Well, one of the things I, I wanted yeah. to, to bring out that I didn't last time is about where I was going to hit. I think. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things I can say is, becoming from England and having the English variety of the word of faith is a little different from the U.S. version. I think the, the headquarters is certainly here, uh, started by E.W. Kenyon, as you know, advanced mm -hmm. by Kenneth Hagen, Copeland. Uh, in England, they call it Copenhagen. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but there was no uh, central headquarters like you would in a, see in a denomination. Like if you're in a certain denomination, you say, our, our headquarters in, is in that city. Whereas in the Word of Faith, I think there was a, 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 an assumed center place of Tulsa, Oklahoma, with yeah. uh, Kenneth Hagin being based at Oral Roberts and various different ministries. You could say Fort Worth, Texas, with Kenneth Copeland just outside of there was uh, right. Jerry Savelle. Right. Um, and uh, back in 1985, I was going to um, international believers conventions in, in England but it was very different, the kind of services they had, because they just brought the American uh, musicians, the uh, American guy doing the announcements. There was not an English person heard almost through the entire five days that I was there. I went to yeah. two of these. Yeah. Um, I eventually met Jerry Savelle and said, do you remember me? I was on row 84 and all of that, just joking <laughs> with him. But um, I enjoyed his preaching more than Copeland's. But... Um, there were various different expressions of it. There was a Swedish version. There was an English version. And in England, there was not this idea that anything these big guns say is absolutely infallible and true. 
And um, there was a, a man called uh, Colin Urquhart. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that name, but he's very, very well known in, uh, in English circles. He's more advanced in age now. I think his son has taken over his ministry. It's called Kingdom Faith. Mm-hmm. And he was a man who uh, was a former Anglican, Church of England vicar. He experienced the so-called baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he wrote a book called, if I remember, When the Spirit Comes. It had massive influence in uh, the professing church in, uh, in England. He, he then wrote books um, very well received called um, Anything You Ask was one of them, uh, mm. God's Plan for Your Healing, The Handbook on Healing, I remember. I think it was 1994 that came out. But um, he was sound in theology regarding the Trinity, regarding the cross of Christ, and, and had massive influence. And I remember him speaking at conferences and kind of being surprised because these were charismatic word of faith conferences, but he'd be invited and he'd bring a certain authenticity to the conference because this is someone who is otherwise sound in the faith. Uh-huh. And so coming out from England and uh, coming to start a church, I remember having the idea, if I'm going to be, starting a word of faith church, which is what I did, I've got to toe the line and say, I believe everything that brother Big Shot and sister Satellite says. Um, <laughs> and um, it was actually really refreshing, but now I look back and I think that was actually a, a bad thing that happened. I had a conversation with uh, a pastor and I, I just asked him, you know, when the cameras were not on and when he was just alone, I said, what, what do you actually believe about, Kenneth Copeland's doctrine from the cross to the throne, um, which was the doctrine of Jesus suffered in hell, tormented uh, by the devil. Copeland goes as far as uh, you can go in blasphemy. I won't won't go into all of it regarding who who Jesus was at that moment and what he was. Right. And uh, the reaction of this pastor, this word of faith pastor was, oh, Copeland's just a jerk in that area. And I remember um, thinking, wow, so you can be a word of faith pastor, carry the word of faith pastor's card in your wallet, so to speak, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and reject the, the, the heretical and blasphemous things that are coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And what that did, Justin, what that did was it kept me in. Because I was coming from England with what I thought was a sound theology. My view on the Trinity hasn't changed, the person of Christ, Christology. Uh, I did believe I understood and preached a biblical gospel. Yeah. Uh, Repentance and faith. um, It was part of the makeup of who I was and what I was proclaiming. But I had a whole lot of baggage, a whole boatload of baggage. Um. But I look back and people ask, do you you think you were a genuine Christian at that time? And I say, well, you're asking me if I was to ask someone else, I'd ask, you know, what what do they believe about the Trinity and Christ and the cross and the resurrection? Um, But I look back and think I was genuinely saved, I believe, but with this whole word of faith mentality that said you can have all the promises of God now. You can have healing now. Yeah. Um, I didn't emphasize prosperity, at least in the early stages. I, I did towards the end. 
um, again, wince at what I did embrace and teach. Um, but that statement, he's just a jerk in that area. I could have become a chapter of a book sometime. <laughs> but um, it kept me in because it, when I heard that he, Copeland, for, for instance, had said this in Charlotte three years ago or that in Denmark, I think, wow, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely blasphemous. But um, I don't have to believe that statement to be in the word of faith. And I'm saying this because it might be helpful to someone to realize the big picture is the actual doctrines rather than the person, uh, the doctrines of the word of faith. Right. That's what, uh, in the end, the sovereignty of God blasted all of those out of the water. Yeah. I never believed and taught the little God's doctrine. You are little God's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some would say, well, that, you're not really word of faith. Well, again, there's various different expressions of it. Mm-hmm. And I would say the Colin Urquhart type person would never have taught it either. But he would be yeah. definitely part of that movement. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people ask me, well, does a, a church have to have word of faith in its name to be word of faith? And uh, No, not at all. And it's not really a denomination like you know, Southern Baptist or Presbyterian church of America. It's not a denomination per se, but you know, you're dealing with word of faith when you see these various word of faith doctrines, little gods, positive confession, speaking things into existence, the spiritual death of Jesus. Um, I I was actually ordained in the, uh, uh, they wouldn't call it a denomination, but it amounts to that faith Christian fellowship international, which was headed by, uh, apostle Buddy Harrison, who uh-huh. was uh, Kenneth Hagen's son-in-law. Okay. And he, he died of cancer in the end. Um, Pat Harrison, his wife, took over. But I was, as, I was as involved as you can be. Yeah. Yeah, interesting that Kenneth Hagen's son-in-law died of cancer. And it, it just mm-hmm. goes to show you that these word faith people get sick uh-huh. just as regularly as anybody else. So T.L. Osborne wrote the book on healing and his, his, his wife Daisy died of cancer. So I understand. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Or Roberts died of heart disease mm-hmm. uh, on and on and on. I mean, Jan Crouch died of uh, a stroke mm-hmm. on the last day of healing month and that she had designated as healing month. She died on the last day of that. So uh, yeah, just um, on and on. Well, John, um, one other aspect, and and this is something that you and I have talked about behind the scenes, and uh, I really want to bring this out because it was my experience as well, though in a little bit different way. Uh, You talk about how now that God has delivered you out of word of faith, that your, your understanding of the gospel is much more vertically oriented as opposed to horizontally. And and I can say from my own experience, even though I was never a word of faith preacher, I mean, I dabbled in it as a teenager going to see faith healers and whatnot, but I never really even understood it back then. But before my conversion, even though I was not word of faith, I thought I was a Christian, but I would go to these word of faith meetings, Benny Hinn, especially Kenneth Copeland. And I would grieve. I was, I was teaching against word of faith, even at the mm. time. But I, I, I knew it well enough by then to, to know to teach against it. And for the most part, what I taught was right. But I would go to these 
meetings and I would grieve, but I would, my grieving was primarily because of the, or for rather, I should say the people that I saw being exploited, the poor people, the sick people, the people at Benny Hinn crusades in the back laying on stretchers in wheelchairs hooked up to breathing machines. I grieved for them. Um, Mm. But then after my conversion, my genuine conversion, my grieving now was far more vertically oriented in that I grieved for God. I grieved for what was being done in the name of the gospel, the, the reproach that was being brought upon Christ in his name. And you have experienced the same thing. Yes. So um, talk to us about that, if you would. Yeah, I think we would talk on two levels of the internal, the, the realization of just how dark my heart is and how grieving it is to, to sin against this holy God who has given me every breath of my life. Um, and then taking it to the next level of the preaching, um, I, I, I wince again when I think of some of the sermon series I would preach, the laws that govern faith, I would preach that, um, rather than finding God in the text uh, submitting to the sovereignty of God. Um, that was an anathema in, in that realm. So yeah. if someone was to take uh, even the presentation of the gospel, I, I think they would see a, a huge contrast between what we would call man-centered preaching and God-centered preaching. Yeah. Theocentric is the theological term, but um, right. yeah, just... We've grieved God, not is there an ache in your heart that God can fill? Yes, uh, yes. In a nutshell, I think that was how would how I would sum it up. It's um, being being a, a reformed Christian now, understanding God's sovereignty. You can let fly any text of your Bible and preach it, knowing that the elect will hear it. You don't have to water it down. That's right. You can just say what it says, and there's a freedom to that. Yes. There's a massive freedom rather than I can't say this because it will upset brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Yeah. Um, you can let it fly. Uh, Spurgeon said, Christ's sheep will not be offended by Christ's voice. And so uh, there's a freedom now in the preaching to, to say, if it's there in the text, I can preach it rather than look at it in a man-centered way. Think, how can this verse be applied to me? First of all, rightly understand it rightly understand the text, rightly understand the passage and, and let, let the word of God loose. And uh, you can certainly make application, but the Holy spirit is the one who can apply it to people's lives, but let's first understand it. Yeah. Um, rather than I think what happens in the circles I was formerly in is they, they look at the text to try and find application yeah. rather, rather than its meaning. Yep. So, so biblically speaking, I think my preaching is now, at least this is the aim, find out for hours and hours and hours every week, what does the text say? What does it mean? What did it mean in the first century or the eighth century BC, wherever text we're looking at? Yep. And um, finding that, then we can make application. But we were far too quick. I was far too quick to, uh, to try and find a, a verse or a passage that we can apply to ourselves. Yes, indeed. Indeed, yeah, you see that whenever I watch these Word of Faith preachers, that's what they do. They take a text, they spiritualize it, 
they try to draw an application that just is not there and they make it all yeah. about you. Yeah. All yeah. about you rather than. This is something that you and I have not talked about, but um, it was an experience. Uh, I won't give out the, the name of this person, but it was a, a pastor and he and I went to lunch. He was the pastor of the largest church, Word of Faith Church in a certain state. I'll, I'll, it was said to me behind closed doors at a lunch table, and, and I'll, I'll just keep it there. But he told me, he says, you know, what's your, your plan for growing your church? And I told him, he says, well, do you want to hear mine? I said, yeah. I mean, he's got the evidence of uh, something that works. Yeah. Largest Word of Faith Church in the state. He says, I look two, two years ahead. And I think, who do I want to come preach at the faith convention we'll have at our church? Whether it's at our church, we rent the biggest auditorium in the city. Who do I want to come speak? Because I know this, if I get certain people, I'll get a massive crowd. Mm. Get a massive crowd, you can then have the chance to, the next service you have at your church, have three or 400 new people. Wow. Uh, that come from the 5,000 that came to the conference. Yeah. He says, this is what I do. Um, I tell my secretary after I've thought, these are the four people I want to come or five people I want to come. I tell my secretary, start sending a gift to that ministry that will stand out. Oh, mm. not the $1,000 checks, $10,000 checks. Yeah. And he says, I start in January, send him $10,000. Say nothing, just send a check from our church. February, $10,000. To these four different, five different people, yeah. $10,000. And I say nothing for eight months. Uh -huh. Say nothing for nine months, just secretary. It's that time of the month, send a $10,000 check. A $10,000 check every month? Yes. Wow. And then he says, that'll get you noticed, John. And he says, um, the 12th time or the 13th time, I invite that man to come to the conference that we're holding the, the next year. So this is a two-year plan. What's yeah. he going to say, John? No. Yeah. Mm. That's it. Wow. That, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect Ugh. sense. I have a That's how it works. That's how it works. Yep. That's how it works. Because I've listened to these folks enough to know that uh, they talk about sowing seed into the other's ministry. You know, it's basically you scratch my back, I'll scratch your, your back kind of thing. Um, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I can't recall the exact lineup, but uh, there were men like TD Jakes, Kenneth Copeland, um, Benny yep. Hinn. Yep. And that was his strategy to grow his church. Right. Wow. Unreal. Unreal. There's, there's no difference between that and any worldly method of growing your business or growing your organization. Um, um, no difference. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take prayer, does it? No, no, it doesn't take prayer. Huh? No. And their prayers are hitting the ceiling anyway, even if they do pray. Well, John, Thank you, brother, and uh, thank you for your insights. Thank you for your transparency. Uh, I really believe that this will help a lot of folks, a lot of maybe former charismatic, former word of faith, or 
I bet there will be people watching this who are in that movement. Um, and, and if, if you are dear ones, if you're, if you're in the charismatic movement or the word of faith movement and you're, you're sensing something's wrong, you know, maybe you don't know exactly what it is. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you know, something's wrong. Uh, I hope that, that this interview has helped you and help you to put your finger on those things because there is something wrong. And if you're sensing that, um, and I, I trust that that is the word of Christ that is dwelling in you and the Holy spirit convicting you about that. So, um, leave, leave, find a good church, find a church that is committed to expository preaching that is led by a plurality of elders that practices church discipline per Matthew 18. Um, you need a good church uh, to nurture your soul. You need good qualified pastors and elders to shepherd you. And uh, so John, thank you, brother. Thank you for sharing with us and giving us your time. It's a privilege and delight. Yeah. All right. And uh, John, since this is now our conclusion rather than the first uh, installment, um, how can people find you where you're located? Your King's church, yeah, in Peoria, Arizona, which is one of the cities around, um, well, in the, the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, they can find us at kingschurchaz.com. I also um, have a couple of books written, and um, my blog is Effectual, which is all one word, E-F-F-E-C-T-U-A-L, grace.com. Okay, good. And uh, I will have those links in the description below. Everyone, so you can click on those and, and go straight to, to his resources and uh, King's Church in Peoria, Arizona. All right. So if you're in that area and you're looking for a good church, King's Church, I highly commend John to you. He's a good guy. I'm honored to call him my friend. So thank you again, John. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate you so much. All right. Blessings to you, brother. And dear ones, right here at the end, I want to show you a brief clip of John preaching the gospel. And this is a very different gospel than he used to preach. Notice the vertical orientation of this gospel because it is the true gospel. And those that are his people receive the true God and the true gospel. And just for a moment, I'd just like to lay it out for us. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, devised a plan in eternity past to create a world. And amongst those created, he selected, he elected a people to save for his glory, for the glory of his grace. Others will be exposed to his justice, but there will be a group saved, redeemed out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, a vast number that no one can number, such is the number of them. And in that plan, it was decided that the Father would send the Son into the world, who'd be born of a virgin, who would live a sinless life, pleasing the Father always, never having to say sorry, never having to step on his Father's toes and say, oh, I blew it there, but living a life fully pleasing to God. And then at the cross, dying a death for the people he came to save. The angel said to Joseph concerning the one to be born, and said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He came on a mission to do exactly that, not to merely make salvation possible, but to actually save a people. 
And he intercedes for them here. And guess what? He dies for them the very next day. And right now he's interceding for us, the same group, at this very moment. How do I know if I'm one of them? Have you come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that simple? You don't need a degree in theology. In fact, that could actually hinder you sometimes. Depends where you go to get your degree. What matters is, do you receive the Son? Do you repent and believe the true gospel? Have you received Christ as the only covering for the nakedness you have in being exposed to a holy God? The answer to that question will decide your eternity. And if you come, it's not because you force God's hand, but God in His kindness chose you to do so before the foundation of the world. If this is true, why say it? Because God says, teach the word, preach the word, preach the word, even when people may not like this message. They didn't like John 6. You read the end of it. Most walked away. But you know, the elect will hear it. They'll say, really? That's the God who really is. I want to know him. And if that's stirring in your heart, may I plead with you to come to the Son, to come on his terms and say, oh, sovereign one, you've given me life. You show me the beauty and the worth of the sacrifice of Jesus and I make my abode there. Shield me from the Father's wrath knowing it was the love of the Father that sent the Son to shield me from His own wrath. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the Gospel. The one who died was buried and is risen again is now seated at the place of all authority in this universe. All authority in heaven and earth is His. And therefore your answer to who Jesus Christ is and what you've done with him is the greatest question of your life. I pray that you come to the Son and enjoy the refuge and the beauty and the worth of all that he is now and forever. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for all you've revealed. We treat it with the sacredness of which it is worth and we ask that you would write the truth on our heart that we would come to you knowing that having done so, we were chosen to do so because of your gracious heart towards us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, interested in more teaching resources or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference you may contact him at justinpeters.org